My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Well, I want to ask you, if you will, to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. Uh, Without question, you have heard it hundreds of times. You've read it yourself. You've read it to your kids on Christmas uh, Day. Uh, You've heard it in churches. You've even heard it from the peanuts. This is the traditional Christmas story. But I want to challenge you this morning, if you can, to try to hear it again for the first time. Just open your hearts and open your ears to try to listen to it and to listen for something fresh today as we remember this great story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, I want to say swaddling clothes, from the old King James. He, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then just a couple of verses out of Matthew's version Uh, Chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born 
king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I wonder if we can possibly use our imagination. The, the, the incredible gift of imagination that God created us with as people made in his own image. The ability to see things in our mind that, that we can't see physically. I wonder if we can use our imagination today to try to imagine what it must have been like in heaven on this day. On this day that Jesus was born. I mean, can you imagine the anticipation For thousands, no, tens of thousands of years, the angels had been waiting for this moment. I mean, we have trouble waiting for 10 minutes in line. Can you imagine waiting for thousands of years for something to take place that had been promised thousands of years earlier? I mean, can you imagine the excitement that must have been in heaven as they realized finally the moment is here? Finally, the time has come. Jesus is about to be born. Now, when I think about Christmas, anticipation and excitement is so much a part of the story, isn't it? I mean, I have such great memories of, of being a child. Now, granted, they were, they were, the motives were not necessarily the best. A lot of the motives were selfish. But I remember that feeling of excitement and anticipation about what was going to happen the next day. I mean, I can, I can remember if I can somehow just take myself back uh, 40, 50 years back and just remember the excitement of the day of Christmas Eve. All day long, just so excited I couldn't stand it. Finally, the, just you know, waiting desperately for night to come. And night finally getting there and, and, and getting in bed and absolutely unable to sleep. Uh, not a wink. Just, be, just wide awake in bed waiting for the next morning. Maybe at some point in the night dozing off and then waking again in the middle of the night and just finally giving in and running downstairs to see what had come in the night. Do you remember that? Has it been too many years? It almost has for me, trust me. But I remember the excitement and the anticipation. But I want to tell you that there is nothing that we can compare in this world to the anticipation and excitement of the angels on that day. They had been waiting for so long. Can you imagine what it must have been like to, to, to live with that sense that the whole world is about to change, that all of history is about to hinge on this moment. Can you imagine what it must have been like? What a splendid and wondrous moment as the glory of the Lord filled the earth. And glory is what it was all about. You you see the word glory show up three times in these few verses. Uh, The first one is when we're told that the glory of the Lord shone around the the shepherds in the field. And then the angels saying glory to God in the highest. And then we're told that the shepherds left glorifying God for all that they had just seen. Glory is central to the Christmas story. And this is one of those words, I think, that that we use all the time as Christians, but, but we maybe don't have just quite the right understanding of what it means. I mean, we, we say the word all the time, right? 
But do we really understand what the word means, glory? The Greek word in the New Testament is doxa. Uh, and, and doxa means to, to, to have a great opinion of someone or to have a great, uh, to, for, for those to have a great opinion of yourself. Uh, it means to, to be held in high regard. Uh, it means for th- those to look up to one as being highly honored. But biblical scholars tell us that for the writers of the New Testament, their understanding of glory was not shaped so much by the Greek world, but by the Hebrew world. Remember, Jesus came to the Jews, and the Jews had a very different understanding of glory. They had hundreds and thousands of years of understanding the Shekinah glory of God. And for the Hebrew people, glory was not just a a high opinion, uh, it, was, it was not just to, to be held in honor. To them, glory literally meant weightiness. And, and it represented that which made the invisible visible. That which made the spiritual tangible. That's what glory meant in the Old Testament. And that's certainly what was in the minds and the hearts of, of these writers as they spoke of the glory of God in the story of Christmas. And so glory speaks of the manifest presence of God. Whenever God's presence was so thick that you felt like you could almost cut it, that's what glory was. That is the glory of God in an Old Testament understanding. And we see it in this story. I mean, we see it in the fields with the the shepherds as, as the angels arrive and announce his coming. We see it as the angel choir sings of the majesty of God. But we see it most profoundly, not in the fields with the shepherds. We see it most profoundly in the manger where Jesus Christ lay. Do you remember from two weeks ago, we talked about God with us. We talked about the incarnation. And we said that the incarnation helps us understand two very important things. First of all, when Jesus became man, when Jesus took on flesh, he did so so that we would know what God is like. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. When we see the person of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we see the character and the nature of God. But Jesus also came to show us how you and I were meant to live. How we were meant to live. Because you see, God's word says we are created in the image of God. So when we look at Jesus, Jesus' life shows us the way we were meant to live. And in a sense, we see the exact same thing when we talk about the glory of God. Because it is in Jesus himself that the glory of God is most fully revealed. We just spent the whole year studying the book of Hebrews. And in the first Chapter verse 3 of Hebrews, the writer says it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so we see in this Christmas story again, we see something about God and we also see something about ourselves Now, now let's start with the the, the picture of God here. What do we see in the account of Jesus' birth about the glory of God? What does this story reveal to us about the glory of God? Well, first of all, we see majesty. 
we see majesty. The text doesn't say it directly, but from every other text where, we, where the glory of God is spoken of, there is always the present of bright, blindingly bright light. There is something about glory that it, it, it connects it to light and the blazing glory of the light of God. We can imagine that bright light out in the, the field as the shepherds were uh, making their first encounter with the angels. There is an angelic announcement of his arrival. There is a herald that comes to announce the arrival. I think about a herald, and my first thought is about um, you know, the, the president of the United States giving uh, the State of the Union address. You remember how this happens when everybody is, all the, the VIPs are gathered in, at Congress, and, and then a herald comes before the president. And he walks into the room and he shouts out, Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States of America. And everybody in the room stands in honor of the office of the president. That's, that's got to be a sweet gig, right? To be the herald, the guy that gets to go in front and announce the coming of the, the president. Can you imagine what it must have been like in heaven as they were trying to decide which angel got to be the herald of the king of kings? before whom every king and every president in all of history would one day bow and confess as king of kings. Can you imagine what that must have been like? We see majesty in the announcement of his arrival. We see majesty in the angel choir. You know, I got to confess to you, I just, I love a good choir. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was so blessed last week by the choir who led us in worship. And I can assure you, I'm lobbying for more of that. I just, I love having a choir that just leads us into the presence of God. Um, and, and I love a good choir. I mean, I can't wait, honestly. I cannot wait for that day when we get to heaven and we get to be a part of that angel choir. I can't wait to sing my part when we begin to sing, holy, 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 God of power and might. All the earth is filled with your glory. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Can you imagine? Uh, Isn't it going to be awesome? Have you ever heard Handel's Messiah? It's a pretty awesome thing if you've ever heard Handel's Messiah, but I want to tell you, Handel's Messiah is like chopsticks compared to what it's going to be like in heaven. It's going to be awesome. My wife has said, as long as I've known her, that the first thing she wants to do when she gets to heaven is be a part of that choir. And she says, every time I see that choir, it's a black choir. And I'm going to get to be a part of a black choir for the first time. And I'm going to be able to sing like that. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. This is majesty. We see the majesty of the glory of God. Now, all of that's wonderful, but do you know what else we see there that's a part of the story of majesty? It's terror. Terror. Uh, you, you may know something about this. You ever met somebody really, really famous? Uh, I can't really say that I have. I mean, I met some people that are a little bit well-known, but if you've ever met somebody that's really, really famous, there's a mixture of excitement and fear all at once, Right? I mean, you find yourself kind of stuttering. You find yourself, you know, maybe feeling extra shy. You don't know what to say. You know, there's a fear that comes over you. And what we're talking about here, though, 
is the God of the universe making his presence known. That's glory. And glory almost always brings terror initially. I mean, think about it. Uh, When Moses said to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord says to him, okay, I'm going to give you a glimpse, but you need to turn around and I can't show you all my glory or you will die on the spot. And so Moses catches a glimpse of the glory of God. Do you remember what happened to Isaiah? When he encountered the glory of God in the temple, the year that King Isaiah died, here was Isaiah, the, the most righteous, holy man on the face of the earth. But I want to tell you that when he came into the presence of the glory of God, he fell flat on his face and began to cry out in terror, I am doomed, I am doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips in the presence of a holy God. It's something about the holiness of God, the glory of God that is overwhelming. It happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus met with Elijah and uh, with Moses. And Peter and James and John got to kind of look on from afar. And it says that Jesus' face was shining like the sun. And then Peter did something that we all do when we get scared. He just started babbling about a tabernacle, you know. And, and, And the Lord literally speaks from heaven Shut up and listen. Stop talking and listen. And and we're told that when they heard the voice of God, all of the disciples fell on their face in total sheer terror. That's majesty. There's something about majesty that reminds us that we are in the presence of one who is greater than ourselves. We're in the presence of one who is other than ourselves. That's majesty. And that's a huge part of the story of Christmas. The the last part of the story is the, 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 the magi coming, the three VIPs who come to worship the newborn babe. They come there bringing gifts of luxury and great value, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of them gifts fit for a king. This is the majesty of the glory of God. But we also see something else in this story. Something that is just as profound as majesty. Something, though, that from the earth's perspective, the world's perspective, is completely unexpected and honestly completely out of place. Because not only do we see majesty, but we also see utter Humility, utter humility. Now, I suspect that when most of us think of majesty, we think of a king or a queen. We think of someone dressed in royal clothing, the finest clothing that can be found on the earth. We think of uh, valuable and priceless uh, jewels that are worn. We, We think of a scepter that speaks of power and authority. We think of a throne. I mean, this is my image of majesty, and I think this is probably a safe characterization of the world's understanding of majesty. This is mad. We think of one who is untouchable, not in the Indian caste system way, but in the you don't touch me because I'm better than you way. That's what I think of when I see majesty. 
But when the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes on the scene, he comes clothed in humility. In humility. There's an angel choir. That's majesty. But there's also the congregation. And you remember who the congregation is, right? They're shepherds. And I want to tell you that shepherds were as far from majesty as you could get. Shepherds were the lowest of the low of the day. Uh, How many of you know a shepherd? None of us, right? There's one person in the first service that knew a shepherd. I don't know a shepherd. You don't know a shepherd because we don't have shepherds. But in those days, shepherds were... Well, I did see a shepherd in Bulgaria uh, last month. And, And it's interesting because the shepherds of Jesus' day were very much like the gypsies of Bulgaria today. I talked to you about this a little bit a few weeks ago when we came back, and the gypsies today are among the most despised people in the world. Always have been. I mean, even today, when we, when we went into a restaurant, uh, we went into one of the only restaurants in town that would serve a gypsy. And in most restaurants, if you're with a gypsy, they won't serve you either. Gypsies are absolutely despised, but no more so than the shepherds who were in the field when the angel choir came to perform their concert. We see majesty and humility all at the same time, right? Majesty clothed in humility. Uh, Yeah, they were magi. These uh, wise men, these, these men who are held in great esteem and with great honor. And yes, they did come bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But don't forget where they came to bring those gifts. They came to a manger. Now, I know there's a lot of talk. In fact, somebody said to me this week, don't, even, don't say that they came to a stable. They didn't come to a stable. I said, that's, in the, that's Hollywood's version. But let me just tell you the truth of the matter. They they were in one of two places. We're not 100% sure, but they were either in a cave, which was common in those days. People who couldn't live in a house would find a cave, and that's where they would camp out. Traditionally, that's what Christians believed in the earliest days, that Jesus was born in a cave. But there's another theory, and that theory is that, that the word that's used for in is the same word as the upper floor of a house where the people lived. And in their houses, they were all two-story houses. And the people lived in the second story, and guess who lived in the first story? The animals lived in the first story. Uh, So guess what was down on the first story? There was a manger, which is literally a feeding trough. That's where the animals were fed, and that's also where the animals pooped later on, and that's where the wise men had to come and kneel. These men clothed in royalty, kneeling in sheep poo. That's majesty and humility. By the way, that's probably why they brought the frankincense and myrrh, right? I think they had a little warning and, and planned to bring some of that with them. But of all the things that we see in this story that speak to the humility of the glory of God, it's in the person of Jesus Christ himself. It's not in all the things around him. It's in Jesus. It's in the absurd idea that the Son of God 
would leave his rightful place at the right hand of God in the throne of heaven and would come into a broken and sinful world. That he would lay aside his divine appearance and that he would take on to himself the flesh of a human being. That is the humility of God. And not just any old flesh, but the flesh of a baby. I mean, just try to imagine this for a moment. That God became a human infant. There is no more vulnerable, no more fragile flesh on the face of the earth. I mean, you know, a deer or a horse or a cow can can be up and running within minutes of their birth, right? Human beings don't walk for 10 to 12 months. For 10 to 12 months, an infant is completely and totally dependent upon its mother and its father to provide for its needs. It can't feed itself. It can't clean itself. It can't communicate. Well, yeah, okay, it can communicate with one word, right? Wah! That's about it. I mean, that's the extent of his vocabulary. A baby is the most vulnerable, most fragile human flesh. And it was that that Jesus chose to come into this world as. Majesty clothed in humility. I mean, just just take a look at this picture. I I want you to think about what that picture is communicating. That the one who created the universe, the one who simply spoke the words and the universe was created, is lying helplessly in the arms of a creature. The creator in the arms of the created one. This is majesty in humility. And this is the story of Christmas. G.S. West says, When I think of the majesty of God, I am humbled. When I think of the humility of Christ, I am in awe. I am in awe. This is our God. This is why we worship Him. Majesty clothed in humility. Majesty speaks of magnificence, splendor, honor, power, and transcendence or otherness. Humility speaks of modesty, meekness, lowliness, servanthood, and eminence or with usness. God with us. His name shall be called Emmanuel. When I think of the majesty of God, I am humbled. But when I think of the humility of Christ, I am in awe. The majesty and the humility of God. But let's not forget the second lesson. Not only does Jesus show us what the Father is like, but he also shows us how we were meant to live. How we were meant to live. Amazingly, we were meant to live with that same paradox of majesty and humility. I want to say, first of all, this morning that you are a child of majesty. You are a child of majesty. 
But you are, though you were nothing, you now have everything in him. Though you were an enemy, now you are a dearly beloved son or daughter. When you were running from him, he was running after you. You are a child of majesty. I want to share an insight into two of the shortest parables that Jesus ever told. It comes in the 13th chapter of Matthew. And these are called the kingdom parables because with each one of these parables, Jesus was comparing the kingdom of God to something that the people would understand in everyday life. And the two shortest parables are found in 1344 through 46. You've probably heard them, but let me just remind you. It won't take but a second to read them. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Now, I don't know about you, but for the longest time in my life, I, I thought that was really Jesus saying the same thing twice, just to, to, to say it for emphasis. Because it sounds like he's saying the same thing. In the first parable, look carefully at the words this time. In the first parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. I think that makes sense to us. We understand that what Jesus is saying is this, that there is no greater treasure on earth than eternal life in the kingdom of God. And, And so he says to us, whatever it takes, whatever you have to die to, whatever you have to give up, Give it up in order to attain the treasure of eternal life in Christ. I mean, I think we get that part. But I want you to look carefully at the second one because there's a very slight change in the words that completely change the meaning. This time, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is looking for fine pearls. This time, the kingdom of heaven is the one who is doing the treasure hunting. And guess who is the pearl of great price? It's you. It's you and me. It's us. The kingdom of heaven is seeking out treasure as well. And in God's eyes, you and I are that treasure. We are the the pearl of great price that Jesus came, that God came and gave all that he had in order to get us. He gave up his most precious gift in order that we might become his children. That's the message of the gospel, folks. That's it in a nutshell. But can you say the words? I mean, can you say the words, I am a pearl of great price? Let's try it. Would you just say it with me? I am a pearl of great price. Some of you said the words, but you do not believe what you just said. Deep in your heart, it's hard. It's, it is hard, isn't it? It's hard to say I'm a pearl of great price. It sounds a little bit prideful. It sounds a little arrogant. The point here is this. God sees you as a treasure. You are majesty to him. Can we, try, can we try that one more time and this time say it like you mean it? I am a pearl of great price. I am a pearl of great price. Part of our story 
is that we are treasure in the eyes of God. And it's important this morning that we know that, that we know it deep in our hearts. Uh, There is a part of us that hesitates to say those words. There's a part of us that deep down has a hard time imagining that God truly sees us that way. But I want to tell you that God's word says it so clearly. You are a treasure to him. But we are also children of humility. We are children of majesty, but we're also children of humility. And as a child of the king, we live like the king. I don't forget my roots. You know, it's important to remember your roots. It's important to remember from where you came. And when we remember from where our father came, the king of kings, we're reminded that he was born in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. It's a feeding trough. And the king of kings was born in a feeding trough. And so we don't ever forget from where we've come. We always remember that apart from Jesus Christ, I was lost. That apart from Jesus Christ, I am nothing. I have nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, I have nothing. We remember our roots. And we remember his example. I think about John 13 when Jesus was preparing to spend his last evening with his disciples. Do you remember this time in the upper room? They gathered together in the upper room. And and the thing we remember most is... Uh, that Jesus completely changed the meaning of Passover. And from that point on, for us, Passover had a completely different meaning. Now the bread was a symbol of his body that was broken. And the juice that is in the cup is a symbol of his blood that was shed. But do you remember what happened before the Last Supper? Jesus was waiting there for his disciples to come. And we're told that as they came into the room, Jesus had stripped down and had nothing on but a servant's cloth. And as they came in, Jesus knelt on the ground. The master, the king, the Messiah, got on his knees and began to wash the feet of his disciples. There was nothing more filthy. These people walked around on the same roads that the animals walked on in open sandals or bare feet. So they brought in whatever they stepped on outside. And Jesus got on his knees and he washed their feet. And do you remember what he said after he was done? He said, uh, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. As those who understand that we are children of humility, we live lives that are rooted in this picture of washing one another's feet. It's not so much about literally washing the feet of others. It's, it's giving of ourselves even to a point of pure servanthood for the good of those around us. We remember his way. In Mark nine thirty five, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. This is not the way of the world. This is not the way of the Roman world or the Greek world or the American world of the 21st century. This is the way of God. That God would step down out of majesty and be clothed in humility as a servant. 
Paul sums it all up so beautifully in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He says, your attitude should be the same as in Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Your attitude should be the same as in Christ Jesus. Majesty clothed in humility. You know, I was thinking about the, um, I was thinking about the difference between a slave and a servant. There's a huge difference between those two things. A slave is taken against his will. But a servant gives himself willingly to the one that he serves. You know, you can make someone be a slave. You can't make someone be a servant. Only you can decide to be a servant. Only you can decide to give of yourself for the benefit of another. That's servanthood. Uh, That a slave can be forced to bow. But a servant kneels freely in awe and wonder ultimately of the one that he serves, recognizing that we serve one another as a way of serving God. A slave can be forced to work, but a servant gives himself freely out of love for the one being served. A slave has to be broken and made weak in order to do what a slave is meant to do. But I want to tell you this morning that to be a servant is not weakness, but to be a servant, a true servant, requires tremendous courage and self-security. Do you understand that you can't truly serve someone else if you're, unless you are incredibly secure in who you are and unless you stand on the solid rock of knowing whose you are? Sometimes I hear people say, I've got too much pride to serve like that. And I want to tell you that there is no strength in pride. Every time, every, every expression I've ever seen of pride, it was very, very obvious. Pride is a cover over fear and insecurity. It is not the, it is not the weak who serve, it is the strong. It is the strong who know whose they are and who they are that are able to walk in his footsteps and do what he did out of love for the Father. That's, glory, that's majesty clothed in humility. I want to ask you this morning, as we come to a close, to remember who you are. To remember whose you are. You are a child of majesty. I also want to remember who you are. You are also a child of humility. And my prayer is that we would be so full of God's grace, that our lives would be so full of that understanding of who we are in Him, that we would be able to give freely to others, to bless and to serve others out of the overflow of the fullness that God has given us in His grace. Uh, I can't think of a better way of describing what Christmas should be about. Our world has twisted it and turned it into such a commercialized thing. But it's ultimately about remembering that the God of the universe was majesty clothed in humility. And that we are called to live just like he did. 
as children of the king who are servants of all. I'm going to ask you, uh, as those who are preparing communion, just to come and begin to prepare the elements. I want to ask you, if you will, just to prepare your hearts as you come. I wonder if there's someone here today, someone here that, that has come here that deep down has never understood that you are a treasure to God. You may be thinking right now, there's just no way God could love me. After all that I've done, all that I am, how could God forgive me and love me? And I want you to know that Scripture says it so clearly. It was while you were a sinner that Christ gave his life for us. While we were sinners that he gave his life. You can know today. You can pray the prayer of salvation today and know that you are a child of the king, clothed in majesty and humility. Others of you may have needs, and you need to come and just bow And you need someone to come alongside you and pray with you for physical healing or for uh, the restoration of a marriage or a relationship or whatever the need may be. If you have any need, we also have people that are going to be ready to pray with you this morning. Just come and kneel and lift your hands and someone will come and pray with you this morning.